I've, I've come to see some really important truths that have impacted me. Sometimes, as Gary Smith told me one time when uh, we went to a conference, it was a football conference, and he said, you know, I, when I go to a conference, I may not like change my whole philosophy on something, but there's something there that I'm going to pick up. There's something new. And there was, as I was going through this, and I was thinking about how the, the priests were not honoring God, there was two verses that just impacted my soul. And I was thinking, any, every leader in this, you know, and that's, uh, you know, whether they're, um, you know, preacher of God's word or not, they, uh, they should have these on their wall. And I want to share this with you when I get to that point. The big idea that I came away with is this, that covenant blessings require covenant faithfulness. You know, we've been going through the book of Genesis, and we can see the covenants, whether it was the covenant with Noah or the covenant with Abraham, and how there's, there's covenant blessings that come with covenant faithfulness. And the questions that came to my mind are these. One is, what is the greatest kindness that someone can give another person? What is the greatest kindness that someone can give another person? And I would say it consists of leading a person from error to truth, to share God's word with them so that they understand, you know, maybe I need to change a different path. I think that's one of the greatest kindnesses that somebody could share. And that, as I saw that, I read that, that was a Thomas Aquinas quote, and I think that's very true. What's, one of, what's the greatest tragedy in life? Question I ask myself as I'm looking at these priests and what they were doing as they were, you know, not honoring God. What's the greatest tragedy? I don't think it's um, that a man doesn't know God. I think that if a man knows God and chooses to go his own way, to do his own thing, they know God, they know what's right, and they choose to do something different. I think that's a great tragedy. And you can see how God answers that when he talks to the priest here. G. Campbell Morgan said this. He said, lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. Lukewarmness is the worst form of blasphemy. Malachi is a minor prophet with a major message. The book is set up as a series of disputes. Malachi has been called the Hebrew Socrates because of the format of the questioning in this book. The Lord makes a claim and then Israel would disagree or question the Lord's statement. The Lord responds and offers the last word. It happens six times in this book. The first three disputes, they expose Israel's corruption. In the final three disputes, the Lord confronts their corruption. Malachi lived about a hundred years after the Israelites had returned from Babylonian exile. His message was directed to the people who had been living there for some time now. And things were not going well. After their return from Babylon, the people had great hopes. But this generation was just as hard-hearted as the ones who were sent off into exile. The book of Nehemiah condemns some of the same sins found in the book of Malachi. The corruption of the priests and the Israelites intermarrying with foreigners. You see that in Nehemiah 13, 7-31. Malachi rebukes the sins of the priests for their nauseating worship practices and the sins of the people for disobeying God's practices regarding marriage. 
Malachi's message is similar to the other prophets. Covenant blessings require covenant faithfulness. Read this story. It said many years ago, a man related the story of a young man by the name of Ben who had a habit of grumbling. You can hear all this grumbling as I'm reading Malachi. How have you loved us, God? I mean, Isaac talked about that last week. He complained, this Ben complained about the weather. He found fault with his family and friends. He allowed the smallest things to upset him. And one day he read this rhyme. When you have truly thanked the Lord for every blessing sent, then you'll have very little time to murmur and lament. Oh, I like that. We should be focusing on praise. Ben realized that his spirit of discontent had made him overlook the gifts of God. And God was constantly showering on him. So this first main point that I want to look at is honoring God. Because you see that. Not only do you see in the last point where it talks about breaking faith. You see that again and again it talks about. It talks about honoring God again and again here. The Lord's charge against the priests showed their contempt for his name by not honoring him. The priests offered defiled animals and sacrifices on the altar and dishonored the Lord. The Lord asked the question of them, but you asked, how have we defiled you? You you bring animals with defects for your offering. You offer blind, crippled, and diseased animals to sacrifice on the the altar. You know what made me think? You didn't bring me your best. You brought me your leftovers. That's what I thought. You didn't bring what you're supposed to bring. You bring... You had the best of here you kept for yourself. You brought me the leftovers. The book of the law said that animals had to be unblemished. Leviticus 1.3. It says, if the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he is to offer a male without defect. That's what it says. And they were Levites, and they knew that. They didn't practice it, though. That's why I said... In, I read that verse, the verses in Philippians. It says, put it into practice. They weren't practicing it. He must, have, he must present it at the entrance of the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. Deuteronomy says, if an animal has a defect, is lame or blind or has a serious flaw, you must not sacrifice it to the Lord. You must not. The priests were given specific instructions on what was meant as a defective sacrifice in Leviticus 22, 17 through 30. The Lord specifically warns the priests in Leviticus 22, 2 and 32 not to defile or profane the Lord's name by offering unacceptable sacrifices. And what was the consequence? of offering defective sacrifices. Leviticus 22.9 says that this made them guilty, deserving death. I mean, it was a serious thing. The Old Testament sacrifices were a type of foreshadowing of Christ, showing that Christ is the ultimate and perfect sacrifice. Jesus is the long-expected Passover lamb who permanently takes away sin. Jesus was without sin and was the perfect sacrifice. Peter speaks of Jesus' precious blood. 
a lamb without blemish or defect. John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The Lord asks a rhetorical question in verse 8. Try offering them to your governor. I mean, I'm the God of the universe. I've created all things. You try to take that to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? That's what he says there. Would he accept you? The answer is a resounding no, he would not. The priest should know better. They were educated in understanding the book of the law. They knew it, and they were doing what was unacceptable. In verses 9 and 10, <clears throat> God is gracious and loving and merciful. And the Lord Almighty asks a question somewhat ironically. How could they expect God to demonstrate his grace when they were insulting him with flawed sacrifices? How could God be gracious to priests who were disobedient and unfaithful leaders? Because covenant blessings require covenant faithfulness. And they were not being faithful. Verse 10 emphasizes the point. God says, oh, that one of you would shut the doors. It's better to have no sacrifices than to have sacrifices offered in contempt useless, using useless fires. The Lord Almighty, the El Shaddai, tells them plainly. He says, I am not pleased with you. I mean, when I read that, I mean, reading all this, what, it says that in verse 10. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord Almighty. Boy, one of my favorite verses, I mean, I, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do you do it all to the glory of God? Don't we want to be pleasing to the Lord? They were not pleasing God, and God was letting them know that. In fact, in verse 11, it says this. The Lord Almighty says, My name will be great among the nations, and you, my chosen people, who are to be an example to show the way. What does it say in verse 12? You have profaned it. You have profaned it. It's really interesting. I don't know. In, in that verse, verse 11, Psalm, it sort of alludes to Psalm 113. Psalm 113, which they would know was one of the Hallel Psalms. It was used during Passover, the Passover meeting. Hallu, hallelujah Psalm, praise Psalms, right? That's where it comes from. It celebrates God's majesty and mercy and is referred to in verse 11. Here's what Psalm 113 says. From the rising of the sun to the place where it says, the name of the Lord will be praised and you're not doing it. The Lord is exalted over all the nations. His glory is above the heavens. God's name will always be great among the nations. His name is great today. His name will be great in the future and forever God's name will be great. But they were not doing that. Those priests were not. They were offering diseased, defective, crippled animals as altar and keeping the best for themselves. What and who are you profaning? Because that's what the question would be. From the context, if you look at the antecedent, what's coming before, the priests are profaning his name. And God's not happy. The priests treated the sacrifices with contempt because they offered unacceptable sacrifices. These priests were guilty of the absolute worst form of blasphemy that I could think of. They claimed to worship God, yet the priests' actions and attitudes were appalling and disgusting to God. 
The Apostle John highlights the attitude of lukewarmness plainly in Revelation 3.15. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm and not hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And the word in Greek literally means to vomit. Christians cannot have one... Christians cannot have one foot on one side of the fence and one on the other. A person cannot cannot go anywhere while they're straddling a fence. Because you have one foot on one side and one on the other. Romans 12.11 says, Do not be slothful in your zeal, but fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. But I would add to that, but fearless in the right direction. You can be zealous for something, but you can be zealous for something wrong. We should die like we talked about today in Hebrews 12, verse 2. We should have our eyes fixed on Christ, the author and perfecter of our faith. That's where our eyes should be fixed. In verse 14, Malachi moves the speaking of sacrifices in general to discussing payment of vows. Another thing that's talked about in the Old Testament. Moses gave the priests instructions on various kinds of sacrifices that were acceptable for payment vows. What was happening... With what was happening is that the priests, what they were doing was wrong. One shouldn't try to cheat the king, right? Shouldn't try to cheat the king. God wants our best, not our leftovers. In verse 14, emphasizes that fact. It says, For I am a great king, says the Lord Almighty, and my name is to be feared among the nations, and you're not doing it. So now, God gives a warning to the priest through the prophet Malachi. Because it starts out like this. And now this admonition is for you, O priest. And now. The Lord made his charges against the priests in verses 6 through the rest of the chapter and clearly expressed the offenses and his disgust. Now the Lord Almighty gave the priests a command to honor him. How, they were to, how were they to honor God is made clear in chapter 1 by the ways the priests had failed him and what they were doing. Consequences follow actions. And there were going to be consequences if the priests did not change their ways. They were being blind guides to the people. And their offerings were a putrid stench in God's nostrils. God said that he would rebuke their descendants, spread the offal on their faces from their festival sacrifices and be carried off with it. By doing this, the priests would be made unclean as the contents of the intestines of the sacrificed animals would be on their face. They would be disgraced. The Lord's purpose in reproving was that to purify the priesthood so that the covenant of Levi could continue. God disciplines those he loves. The priests were chosen from the tribe of Levi, and the priests were not acting like it. I thought when I was reading this part as we were going through um, my daily reading through the year, we've already gone through the book of Numbers, and I remembered this prophet, and I saw the notes about him down below. And I think God, what he's doing here is, as this is written, he's showing an example of what you should do. And this is the impact when I saw as a church leader that I should have this written on my wall. I should. Here's what it says. 
The person, the Levite, he's thinking about, I want to read this to you. It says, verse 3. Because of you, I will rebuke your descendants. I will spread on your faces the offal of your fast festival sacrifices, and you will be carried off with it. And you will know that I have sent you this admonition so that my covenant Levi may continue. The covenant of, was made with Levi, right? And so was there a Levitical priest that stood out, that honored God? And I think he's referred to here, not by name in this section, but obviously it's directed towards him. It says, And the Lord Almighty, my covenant was with him, a covenant of life and peace, and gave them to him. This called for reverence and and revered me and stood in awe of my name. So who could this, this Levite be? Well, how about Phineas? Phineas, the grandson of Aaron, defended God's honor. It talks about it in Numbers 25, verses 10 through 13. By killing offenders involved in idolatry and immorality connected with Baal. It says, talks about Phineas' commitment to God. And here's what it says, because it used some of the same words in Numbers as it does in Malachi. So remember, um, the time of, of uh, Moses and the departure, the Exodus, was about 1400 B.C. or so. We're talking about 400. So this is like a thousand years later, okay? But Phineas was one of the, you had... The son, you had Lee, you had Aaron, then you had Eleazar, and then you had Phineas. Okay, so it was a grandson of Aaron. So it's probably like 1300, somewhere in there. But what does it say about Phineas? He is an example of a faithful priest who honored God. He honored his name. Here's exactly how it reads in Numbers 25. And the Lord said to Moses, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned my anger from the Israelites, for he was zealous as I am for my honor among those in my zeal. I did not put an end to them. Therefore I tell, I tell him, I am making a co- my covenant of peace with him. Same thing it says in verse 5. He and his descendants will have a covenant of a lasting priesthood, because up here they said may not take away the covenant of Levi, because he is zealous for the honor of my name and made atonement for the Israelites. Notice in Matthew 5, 2, or 2, 5, it says, it speaks of this covenant of peace. This Levite, Phineas, revered God and stood of awe of God's name. Phineas honored God, and those pitiful priests were not. That was happening in the time of Malachi. Phineas is a priest who stands in clear contrast to the wickedness of his uncles Nadab and Abihu, and also the priests that are right here. What should the role of a priest, or for that matter, a church leader, um, cling to? And I, I, this, these are the two verses. Because I was thinking as a church leader, here's what it says right here. If you focus on these two verses, it says, True instruction was in his mouth. Not what we want. True instruction was in the mouth of Phineas, and it's not in those priests. Because they're, they're, they're tilting their instruction to what their own thoughts and desires are. True instruction was his mouth, in his mouth. Nothing false was found on his lips. Doesn't that what we want? <clears throat> he walked with me in peace. Walked with God. And uprightness. And he turned many from sin. Isn't that what we want? 
Because what you're doing is you're causing a stumbling block. That's what he's saying about these uh, priests during Malachi's time. For the lips, here's verse 7, for the lips of a priest ought to preserve, uh, preserve knowledge. And from his mouth men should seek instruction because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. We're messengers. Shouldn't we speak truth? Shouldn't we walk in peace? Shouldn't we walk in uprightness? They weren't doing that. They weren't. And he's using a contrast of Phineas. Man, when I heard those, heard those words and read those again and again and again, I, said, I need to put those on my wall. That's what we need. And then in verse 8 it says, But you have turned from the way, and by your teaching have caused many to stumble. These priests are causing people to stumble. What is the point of this message from Malachi to these corrupt priests? Just as Phineas turned away sin, taught what was true, walked in uprightness, with God, revered God, all the priests should do the same. That's what they should be doing. They should be honoring his name by doing what what he says. Those in leadership roles should do no less. Teach the truth. Live a sanctified life. Take a stand against sin. Honor God in all their ways. I like what this quote from Robert McShane, he says, my people's greatest need is for my personal holiness. People look up to you. Doesn't matter if you're the leader in your home, a leader in your business, a leader in your church. People look up to you. And what do they see? Do they see somebody like a Phineas who stand in honor for God's name? Or do they see the priest during the time of Malachi? Malachi preaches a hard lesson, but it's a necessary message to the priest. He is saying, You have turned from the way of truth, you caused people to stumble, and you've led them astray. You have violated my covenant and you have caused that, so that I have caused you to be despised and humiliated before all people. You show partiality in the matters of the law. You've tilted your teaching. You are not teaching the full counsel of God. The priests were, not, were to be God's representatives and spokesmen and they were not living for him. But they, have, but they have not delivered God's message accurately. And so they will be delivered up to God's punishment. If they do not change their ways, because, as I said before, regarding a covenant, that covenant blessings require covenant faithfulness. They weren't offering the best. Now, the third point is Judah's unfaithfulness. Not only was there unfaithfulness between the priests and God this way, but there was like unfaithfulness between people. Verse 10, not only was faith broken with God by their disobedience, but faith was broken in relationships with people. Five times in this section, Malachi speaks of breaking faith. In this passage, Malachi addresses the marriage, marriage to pagan women and divorce. People were divorcing their Jewish wives and married pagan women. That was not right. The first address is people's intermarriage with pagans to, is who worshipped other gods. Malachi calls it a detestable thing. Literally, in Hebrew, it says an abomination. Something that was offensive to God. Marriages with women and of foreign gods was strictly forbidden because it would lead to apostasy. 
And God had clearly forbidden marrying women who worshipped other gods. It was a big problem after the return. And you can see this, see this just like Isaac talked about last week. This is probably taking place about 420 B.C., somewhere in there. Well, Nehemiah came back, remember, to rebuild the walls, and that was about 445, 444, and Ezra was there too. And if you read the book of Ezra and you read Nehemiah, they're talking about the same problems that Malachi is talking about too. The prophet invokes a curse on any Jew who had committed or would commit to marrying a pagan woman. It's like, how disgusting, he's saying, the Israelites were doing this wicked deed by marrying someone who worshipped foreign gods and then bringing offerings to the Lord. That does not make sense. And God also makes his feelings known about divorce. Divorce was allowed, but actually the, uh, the instruction in this passage in Deuteronomy 24 were given to protect the wife if a divorce should occur. And Jesus also taught about that the concessions by Moses were given because of the hardness of people's hearts. But God knows, I mean, what was happening is that the people were divorcing and then marrying pagan women, which is wrong. I noticed a a repetition as well. If you look at chapter 2, verse 15, and also chapter 2, verse 16, it says this. So guard your heart and your spirit and do not break faith. And in this section it says, with your wife of your youth, but also in Verse 16, so again it says, so guard your heart, yourself, in your spirit and do not break faith. The Israelites were not to break faith with one another by divorcing their Jewish wives and intermarrying with pagans. The unity of the nation as well as the individual marriages would be preserved by guarding their hearts, guarding their spirits. Like a soldier, guarding a prisoner or watchman observing from a tower. We should take every thought captive in obedience to Christ and guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. As it says in Proverbs 4.23, another one of my favorite verses, to guard your heart with all diligence, for from it flows the springs of life. Because covenant blessings, if you want covenant blessings, they require covenant faithfulness. And they were not faithful. And God's making the point. Phineas was blessed because he was faithful. It's a simple idea. It's hard to live out, but in the spirit of Christ, we can do it. Covenant blessings require covenant faithfulness. I like the way um, Isaac did that uh, introduction last week. He had a little story, and then he ended the story at the end. Well, I, did, I thought that was good, so I'm going to do the same thing. So here's my conclusion. I'd like to return to the story of Ben from our introduction. Ben determined that With God's help, he would rid himself of the habit of grumbling and complaining. So whenever Ben became irritated or began to complain, he would stop and he would thank God for the many blessings that he was enjoying. And it worked by centering his attention on praising rather than pouting. He found it was much easier to avoid a grouchy mood. Christians have to have so much to praise God for. Thankfulness and having an attitude of gratitude ought to be a characteristic of every believer. I like this little thought, if you like, like little short sentences. We should spend our time counting our blessings and not airing our complaints. Oh, 
Oh, that was good. I like that. We should spend our time counting our blessings and not airing our complaints. So how do we do this? Well, one of the things that I was thinking about is this, because when I read Malachi, I see like a lot of complaining going on. They weren't following God, but I guess like God is saying, I have loved you, says the Lord. And they ask, but how have you loved us? You know? One thing is, is this, is to resolve to follow God faithfully. Just, just a resolution. I, I, I want to show, I want to love God. I want to pursue God. I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. You know, seek and you'll find. You know, ask and the door will be open. That sort of thing. Knock and the door will be open. That one. Seek and you'll find. Ask and it'll be given to you. That's right. Knock and it will be open to you. But also this. I was thinking about, you know, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And one of the things that the Jews did is they, they practiced the Shema, Right? I mean, every day, twice a day, they would say this. And I think it's important. I, th- I think that's something to put to memory, put Scripture to memory. And so this idea is like we read in uh, Philippians today, where it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. I really like and have that mindset. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Right? And it says to impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit in your home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hand. Buy them on your foreheads. Write them in the door frames of your houses and your gates. Have something in your mind that you can focus on. Being thankful that these are important things that you should do. I think that's something to do. Memorize those verses. Meditate on verses. Pray that God would make those verses real in your life. Second is this, resolve not only to follow hard after God, but resolve not to complain or grumble. Here are some suggestions for overcoming complaining or having an attitude of not being um, grateful. Remember that in your, your troubles, your troubles did not take God by surprise. He's still in control. They didn't take God by surprise. Believe that God has a solution a provision, a gift of wisdom to match whatever difficulty you're going through right now. Pray, affirming your faith in God and expressing your confidence in His loving purpose for you. Talk to God. Wait. Wait with expectancy and availability, trusting God to work out His perfect will in your life. Five. Praise Him. Praise Him. Even before he acts, the answers are on the way. The answers are on the way. This alternative to complaining gives God an opportunity to work creatively, both in us and in our circumstances. Best of all, even if our circumstances don't change, he uses them to change us. Covenant blessings require covenant faithfulness. I see that in Phineas. I don't see that happening during the time of Malachi with the priests. They were leading people astray. May we be like Phineas. Honor God in all that we do. Stand for truth. And those verses that are in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, I think those are really important verses in this section. 
True instruction was in his mouth, and nothing false was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and he turned many from sin. For the lips of the priest ought to preserve knowledge, and from his mouth men should seek instruction, because he is the messenger of the Lord Almighty. We have a message to share. May our message be one that honors God and not dishonors him. Because I don't want God to say me, to me, I am not pleased with you. I want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just pray that we would just follow hard after you, that we would know you better, that we would ask you to show any areas of our life that, we, that are not where they should be, and that we want to know you better. We want to speak your truth. We want to live an upright life. We want to share the good news with others, and we want to be, as it says here, a messenger of God. Lord, help us not to be like the priests that were talked about here that chose to not give their best but to give their leftovers, but help us to be like Phineas to do what's right and honor your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Help us to be faithful to that cause. In Jesus' name, amen. You're singing.